It wasn't hard to find the red blur, but when it finally stopped, it wasn't Jay Garrick. He had the same nom de guerre, but he wasn't the man we'd met before. No turkeys, no quips, just a new speedster in red. He was happy to talk, though, so he settled down in a cafe to learn about this new Flash. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. New digs! We're in a new location. Uh, I have recently moved, and Matt has recently moved. We are no longer in the same domicile, but we still share the same office. New apartment, who dis? Yeah. So, we have a new... We're trying to record for the first time in our, our new recording setup. I think it's a lot nicer than the last one we did it in. It's classier. Like it's classier. The light, I actually do really like the color scheme of the room because the kind of red, like the, you know what it is? I hate to say it, but it really is. Like the walls are the color of dried blood and then you've got the piano with that dark wood. It actually yeah. works together really well, offset against the white edging of the, all the frames. Yeah, my friend is a really classy decorator. So mm. we're, we're recording here for... Uh, an oddly uh, another red theme thing like, oh, much God, like the room. I didn't even think about that we yeah. are recording for our first episode of The Flash and in fact you might even say it's Carmine Carmine yes it might be a Carmine color because we are looking at Carmine Infantino's work and I am so excited because that name is really thrown about as an industry standard for art early in comics history and I can see why yeah Infan and Infantino does a really great job I've got a like a bit later on that just talks about this is a creative nexus. Right. We have the people who are involved in this have been involved in stuff before that we've read, and they'll be involved in a ton of stuff later. Right. So we're going to start actually in the Golden Age with Flash Comics number 104, February 1949. This is actually the first uh, volume that's in the Showcase Presents volume one of The Flash. It's a Jay Garrick story. Not sure why, but I think it's because this is the first appearance of the rival now the rival is to jay as professor zoom is to the flash the rival essentially is a man who worked at the same college as jay garrick when he created the heavy water experiment that got him his powers hmm. who overhears that someone got powers from heavy water and mimics the experiment and gets powers himself he just ends up being a bad guy jay garrick has to fight him and he realizes that the guy doesn't know that jay got the powers he just knows that some scientist at the school at a northwestern or midwestern university or whatever it was called i feel like midwestern midwestern university and decides to get powers and that's kind of it it's just mm -hmm. a, oh my god another speedster story so moving from flash comics number 104 which is important because flash comics number 104 is where jay's adventures end these will be reprinted with barry in flash comics number 105 they will keep the numbering they'll start reprinting it as just the flash and that's where barry's comics pick up speaking of barry sorry there are cars outside the back so you might hear some traffic I guess. If nothing um, else, cars straining to go up that devil hill. It is a devil hill, hill that we are on. It is abysmal. <laughs> so, we start now with Barry Allen appearing in showcase number four, October 1956. Now, the writers who are credited with Barry Allen predominantly are Robert Kaniger and John Broom. Now, you might be remembering John Broom's name from the Green Lantern issues. 
um, that we read through in, a, in the last two episodes. You might be remembering him from the future. Right. You're remembering him, his work in the future that we, are, that we already covered. But now, in the but future, now, the past has occurred. Thousands of years ago <laughs> in the past. Oh, we're uh, nerds. Oh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. That show really only was good before the movie. Um, Kaniger and Broom work pretty much only with Carmine Infantino, who does the art for mm-hmm. pretty much every issue that we read of this. Now, The Flash hops around and doesn't make steady appearances. The dates that these showcase issues appear are few and far between with The Flash. But in showcase number four, October 1956, we see the first appearance of Barry Allen, who is a police scientist, and he gets his powers when being struck by lightning in his lab, which apparently has every chemical known to man in it, so it's very ambiguous as to which chemical combination with lightning really does give you Flash powers, thanks so that nobody can try this at home. (laughs) <laughs> oh god i didn't even think of that portion but yeah, yeah it's like that uh, it's the wwe sunday morning thing. yeah don't please for the love of god don't get us sued yeah so barry is struck by lightning and doesn't immediately feel the effects of the event unlike jay who gets up out of his hospital bed immediately and just like runs down That's to see right. joan yeah, out of does. his hospital room and he's like oh wow i'm fast and she's like oh wow you're fast so barry is like oh wow what a crazy night gets up and goes to a diner, but on his way to the diner to try to catch a cab, he outpaces the cab by accident. And he's like, oh my god, what happened? And then he's like, well, I'm at the diner, so I guess I'll go in. As he's in the diner, a waitress drops a plate of food, and you get this lovely panel that I love. It's the, the giant yeah, one-shot yeah. of Barry watching the plates of food fall. And it's like individual peas, a pie, some french fries, coffee. and he's see- good. Oh, it's great. And the art is cool crisp yeah it's clear infantino does a fantastic job of the next panel is barry scooping all the coffee up out of the air placing all the food back on the plate and getting you know catching the soup back in the bowl remember that scene in the first spider-man with toby mcguire where he watches kirsten uh kirsten dunn slip in the cafeteria and all of her food flies up and he catches everything on the tray it's that segment but in comic form i've forgotten about that so it's really well written and well drawn and it's cool because Barry is slowly realizing he's got powers and Um, he's also like he's kind of written as though he has a concussion at this point so it's a little more understandable that oh yeah he didn't realize he was going that fast exactly so he starts to see things moving at slower paces because he's moving faster and the thing that really scares him is he sees his girlfriend Iris get shot at and he sees the bullet approaching her head, like, panel by panel, and he's, like, looking about, like, thinking about it as it's going, pushes her out of the way, and vows that he will kind of get rid of these criminals, kind of like his favorite hero, The Flash. Now, I will say this. This does not bother me, because Jay is no longer around. Mind you, Barry is reading Flash comics January number 12 we number probably, 13 no, i looked this up the cover's wrong yeah, it's number on 13. that cover how, is actually a hawkman feature how dare they <laughs> how dare they because we know we know these things and we are smarter and i was going to ask you did you i, was I, I look. looked at that and i'm like Flash oh i have to look at this Flash this is the kind of thing they get wrong yes so barry is reading then again in this version of earth That's maybe true. flash comics number 13 is a flash story don't know because we are now again in earth one Mm -hmm. the golden age is earth two we will get to this eventually but 
Barry is seen reading Flash comics, and he calls himself The Flash, develops a suit that he puts in a tiny ring that uh, contracts with gas, and the second it touches air, it expands. That's a very famous Flash thing. So Barry has gotten the suit, gotten his powers in the first issue, and is ostensibly The Flash. Mm-hmm. The rest of the issue, he um, stops a small crime ring using his powers and calls himself The Flash and pretty much tells everybody, hey... I'm the Flash. However, the first villain in this story is in the TV show. If you really? watched, I want to say, season two of The Flash, it's the turtle. I would not have guessed that character ever came back now, in the modern age. The turtle in the TV show has a reverse ability where he kind of expels a an entropy field that okay. slows okay. everything down around his presence. Um, in the comic, he's just a slow guy who happens to outwit people by being slower than they realize and kind of outsmarting them where they're like, they're going to move fast. And he does something that basically their movement powers his movement or they overshoot or they over or they overcorrect regardless. It, it, it is planning criminal jujitsu. Right. So his... Jujitsu? No. Uh, judo. Judo. There we go. So he... He essentially is a very easy to defeat villain. It just for for Barry's first supervillain outing, it's difficult because he has to learn how to use his powers in a controlled way to defeat someone who is banking on him using his speed against him. So that's kind of neat. But as he defeats the turtle, he kind of calls himself the Flash, and everyone's kind of like, "Cool, um, thanks, Scarlet Speedster. We appreciate it." And we have another story in this showcase, which, of course, Showcase likes to do these two-part story things or these two story issues. Um, He stops a criminal who is trying to escape justice in the future by... He accidentally gets sent into the past instead of the further future where he's apparently been banished to. And he starts doing crimes there to kind of get back to the future so that he can be free in his own time. And... Barry instead just like F that noise and runs him into the future. No cosmic treadmill, no anything, just Barry Allen breaking the time barrier in his second flash outing to return <laughs> someone to the future. It's oh boy, it's Barry. crazy how quickly this goes, but I will point out he does say at one point he feels like he's running on a treadmill because he's not breaking through like the physical force of right. the time wall. But yeah, it's like we're going zero to 60 here in more ways right. than one. So Barry actually, I was never really aware that Barry could do this without the cosmic treadmill. I was always under the impression Wally was the only one that could. So I was just surprised that Barry could straight up just break the time barrier, no strings attached. It was just unsettling for me immediately so i'll be curious to see like going forward whether that's a recurring element or if it's just an uh an early installment Mm. weirdness so we're gonna jump ahead eight months to showcase number eight june 1957 happy new year i missed a happy new year by the way was it bi-monthly uh i don't know but huh it might have been but regardless eight months later barry allen shows up again so that you see an origin story and then you see another story of time travel, and then eight months later, you get another Flash comic. So then you see all that, and then you get no Flash comics for eight months, <laughs> in case you were really into this character. You're like, where'd that guy go? And now you get another one. Uh, by the way, last episode, as I was editing it, I missed a Happy New Year. And I think when we get to it, I, we missed something else, but I will do that later. 
Um, showcase number eight, June 1957. Flash stops criminals who use giant series of Russian nesting doll boxes to distract everyone while they commit crimes around town. It, it is a prestige kind of moment. Yeah. Um, Iris is very much established in these next stories to be a well-respected, on-the-job photojournalist. I'm going to say she kind of does both. She does photography and she writes and reports. And apparently she flies, too. Yeah, that's we're going to get to that. That's weird. <laughs> um, but... You know, Iris is good at what she does. She's yeah. very—it's it, very much Lois Lane without the malice. It appears, yeah, from what we've seen. I would almost go like '80s power executive woman, like uh, 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 Bruce Willis's wife in Die Hard, like sure. that kind of. Oh, Holly. Well, re- yeah. Holly. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it as a counterpart to Carol, who is a, a sassy, you know woman about town who is in charge of her own destiny iris is pretty much the same thing it's just less uh boy crazy it appears Mm -hmm. and again we haven't seen what lois lane is like right now in the silver age but compared to lois lane in the golden age i like iris better just right out the gate as a woman who is into her career so from that perspective i'll agree like yeah honestly like you remember me saying like in the second half of the green lantern stuff that we read she doesn't really do anything with her job. Right. Uh, and here, Carol is, or Iris is very much about the job. Right. And that's kind of cool. I like that. Um, second story in showcase number eight, we're introduced to probably the quintessential Flash villain, not his arch nemesis, but the mm-hmm. one that everyone probably knows when they think of the Flash, probably prior to the television show, the Captain Green, Cold. The Green Goblin. Yeah. To, the, the Green uh, Goblin. Spider-Man. Yeah. The Green Goblin to Spider Man would be. Yeah, would probably be Captain Cold to the Flash. So Captain Cold is robbing a bank. We kind of see the Flash dealing with this. The Flash also has made a alarm system that te- that like piggybacks off of the police's alarm system, so that he knows when things are happening, and so that he rushes out and deals with it, which is kind of neat. That inter- it shows that Barry's really smart. The interesting thing there is that he set it up before he became the Flash, apparently, right. just because he wanted to know stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Len Snart makes a cold gun. We see this kind of in a flashback to battle the Flash because he's a criminal. He's like, I got to figure out a way to deal with this guy because this is nuts. The first time we've ever really seen a bad guy's origin is directly related to how do I beat this superhero who showed up in my town, (laughs) which is kind of interesting. Um, So he goes to a cyclotron and basically kind of like jury rigs some gear from the cyclotron and radiation to make a cold gun that turns things into absolute zero. Things I don't think are science. Cold, absolute zero making you see cold mirages. Not sure if that's a real thing. Don't believe it is. But, you know, for the sake of science in comic books where guys can break the time barrier, I'm going to say sure, why the hell not? Because his logic is if extreme heat makes you see mirages, maybe extreme cold does too. Apparently it does. I mean, it's it's heat differential that right. makes you see mirages. And even then, yes, this is... It's comic science. We're going to see some actual science like layered in here. Like to their credit, they get the temperature in Fahrenheit of absolute zero correct. Yes, but <laughs> yeah, there's there's some wonkiness going on here that's a little bit out of place for how sciencey this was going. And now we're like, okay, this is mm-hmm. science fiction. Got it. Um, science fantasy. Yeah, science fantasy. Snart begins, or Captain Cold. Uh, uh, hang on, I just. I know that you are steeped in the Flash mm-hmm. mythos, so I need to just, as someone who is more of a newcomer, I just need a moment here. Mm-hmm. Just say that name slowly for me. Snart. F- 
full name. Leonard Snart. No, no. He's referred to as Len Snart. Len Snart. Well, technically, even the other rogues from the rogues gallery call him Lenny. See, now that makes more sense. Lenny Snart. Len Snart. Len Snart. Yep. It's not a. It's not fashionable. But no. <laughs> I will give him. I will. Give, I will say this. His costume, for the better part of, I want to say, fifty years, never changed. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's has very, it changed at all? Like now, in, in the in the rebirth era, it's a little okay. bit more of like kind of a cold wear, almost kind of a hoodie situation. Gotcha. But he also now doesn't have like a gun. He has cold powers. Really? Which is I'm okay with because honestly the really what it came down to when dealing with Captain Cold, the the end game was just disassemble the cold gun. Yeah. Like he was not really that intimidating. It was just a dude with a gun and Flash dealt with guys with guns all the friggin' time. So having it be a guy with powers actually to me makes it a little bit more of an even playing field. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. Okay. It's the logical conclusion it's a logical evolution of that character in my mind. One thing I will like latch on to, uh, and first off, mm-hmm. I agree. Like, yeah, at a certain point, especially as they get faster and faster, uh, and it's established how fast they can go. Yeah, having a guy with a gun is just kind of eh. Yeah. But there's a particular phrase you use. He's not that intimidating. Yeah. I'm so. I think within the context of okay, like his power is latched into one thing that's easily taken away. Okay, understandable. But I think Captain Cold is. Like, his essence as an outsider to the Flash franchise is that he's intimidating. Right. Like, the shot of, like, a the cast picture of the rogues gallery and just him, like, looking down at the viewer with the cold gun that's oh, yeah. got the ice on it. It's like, that's all Captain Cold yeah. is to me. Captain Cold is very much the scariest member of the rogues gallery for Flash. Um... Flash, however, in this issue does defeat Captain Cold by seeing through his cold mirages like you would do because those don't exist, and beats him up. And there you go. He kind of looks at the gun for a bit and he's like, wow, this is neat, and then gets rid of it. We're going to jump ahead again almost a year. I, When I was reading these, I hadn't realized that it it seems to be like two... Uh, Two months for one issue, right? Like but also that changes like, everything, it's, right? Because it's it's four issues apart each time. We have number four, number eight, and then thirteen, fourteen. But that extra four months in there from it being two months apart, God. right? Which makes me almost feel like Flash didn't really start that much earlier than Green Lantern. Purely mm. be well, like, yeah. yes, in time he did. In oh wait, the, yeah, fifty-eight. Okay, well, yeah. yeah. Like, let's yeah. put it this way. He starts in 56, mm-hmm. and Green Lantern starts in 58, 59. 59, 59. So like uh, he both start... him and uh, Aquaman were 59. Right, so he starts three years earlier, but really he's only had two stories at that, at that three-year earlier part. I don't really yeah. think like that, yeah, he, he came about, but he wasn't really going through books like yeah. everybody else was. Because even Green Lantern had several that were close together mm-hmm. before he really you know got the Green Lantern comic. And I don't mm-hmm. know, just... It's a different way of looking at the publishing for this. Come think of it. That's actually interesting because I think it must have been right around when number thirteen came about. It came out that it moves to once a month yes. because uh, fifty nine uh, Green Lantern comes out in number twenty two. So like well, nine months removed. Well, we'll see when we get to the next showcase issue mm-hmm. because in, in number 13, 1958 of April. Um, hmm. Flash stops a series of crimes around the world in eighty minutes. He has a date with Iris at one thirty. It's noon, and he's like, "Oh, I've got plenty of time. I'll go do some more work." And then his alarm goes off. He's like, "I gotta do Flash stuff," and starts 
he goes uh i forget where the first location is but he, he goes a fair distance Paris, out of I think. yeah he goes out of central city to by the way central city is established it's on the east coast which is a lot farther from coast city than it normally is in the comics geographically but i'm not gonna you know call a mulligan on that just yet um so he saves a gal in paris who you know does the like oh flash you're so amazing and kisses him on the cheek he's like thanks lady and then like bails because he hears about another emergency at a different location so he essentially just starts chasing emergency like daisy chaining emergencies around the world in about 80 minutes however in one of these emergencies there's like an ocean liner that's in danger from a submarine from a torpedo and he you know runs and runs the torpedo to make it change targets and then swims underwater to get the torpedo to follow him and then lets the torpedo hit the submarine that shot it and i'm like did you just kill all those bi- body count one the first body count of the silver age which it's yeah you, you pointed out that it was the first body count we'd seen yeah and, at least that yeah. we've seen and it's barry allen killing a submarine full of people and i'm gonna gimli that because it's we don't see how many but like holy shit barry <laughs> just... it is not specifically said like these are robots or anything no that's it's that's a pirate a sub it's a pirate and, sub and we don't see anything about like them pulling survivors no, aboard no, it just blows it up and runs off and i'm yeah. like you know i expected that from hal yeah i i I was astonished Hal didn't kill a single person. Now, I will say this. In the uh, the Cosmic Ray being episode, uh, issue, mm-hmm. where he deals with the, the creature that was created in a test tube that was bombarded yeah. with Cosmic Rays, I don't necessarily count that because he was trying to help the creature and then the creature stated, this is what I want. I don't necessarily count that as killing it. Because the creature didn't want to be alive, because it didn't want to exist, and he was like, "Oh, does this hurt you?" And it's like, "Nope, thanks. I just don't want to be here." And he's like, "Got it, cool," and makes the creature go away. That was the one body count I had thought about that I was like, mm, "Because the lantern construct creature mm-hmm. is a construct. Yeah. It isn't an actual living creature. It's mm-hmm. sentient, but it's not and, a biological creature." And I still stand by my headcanon that its sentience was only around when Hal was unconscious. So right. I think there was some degree it's of... It's like he's it. daydreaming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, I fall into the same boat with the other creatures. Like, here's the thing. Um, well, this is depowering you. Oh, that actually melted you. And, and uh, it, Because it even spoke an, to him. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was just like, thanks. Uh, I, I was trying to not hurt people, but they were attacking me. He's like, oh, uh, sorry. It's like, no, cool, you did the thing that I wanted. And he's mm-hmm. like... Sweet bye. <laughs> yeah, that they they went out of their way to show that the creature was okay with yeah, it. Yeah, was benign and cool, and it was and, like, all right, cool. And then here we have uh, essentially a golden age killing, just like yeah. oh, this is very I, golden age. It's very golden age. But at the end of showcase number thirteen, we have a second story with Mister Element, who is an Element themed villain who has this weird gas masky sort of almost Sandman looking doohickey mm-hmm. on, and he's got Element themed henchmen. And I was so happy yes! about this. Oh my god, yes! I was so happy that his henchmen were named like Argon and like Krypton and all sorts of different noble gases and things like that. Because he's like, you need me to be around because you're all weak and unstable and I'm this, I'm the glue. And it's like, that was so cool. Like, mm-hmm. you're an honest-to-god supervillain. Now, doesn't have any powers, just commits element-themed crimes. Much like Calendar Man would. Um, yeah, yeah. It just, and creates element-themed apparatus to prevent the Flash from thwarting him. Of course, Flash does and puts him away in jail, and Element Man is no more. Um, Showcase number 14, June 1958. The Flash goes to another dimension to save Iris, who has been kidnapped by a UFO while flying in a rocket for 
journalism? I think she was taking pictures of the sunset. Yeah, she was doing something really <laughs> ambiguous for, for the sake of journalism. And I'm going to say, all right. And but... a very ambiguously placed camera to be able to see her reaction on right. uh, on Barry's little wrist. Well, I'm cool, I'm cool with wrist comms. I think the camera was somewhere in the rocket. because It, it had to be. It had like, to be. Well, if you think about it like jets, like like actual combat jets that have cameras mm-hmm. oh, on them, yeah. like recon ones, they're pointed at the ground because they're on the bottom of the belly of the, the rocket or the jet. I'm assuming that's what was going on. But I'm like, why She's would you... She's got a little GoPro, like, yeah. mounted in the window. Yeah, but I'm like, why would you send Iris to do this? I don't know. Like, why was, why was Iris West the one it, person you picked to and do this thing? And it's not like a little Cessna or something. It's a rocket plane. It's, it's, like, it's specifically yeah. stated as breaking the sound barrier. It's like, this is a Ferris aircraft thing. Like, yeah. this is an experimental weird thing that a privatized company would make. And you're like... Uh, all right, I guess we're putting the journalist in this. Has she been training <laughs> off screen? She flies well, so yeah, she, I assume so. Yeah, there is no problem with the actual flight. What mm-hmm. does occur is the UFO that Barry tries to stop from grabbing her, and then it pulls her into a different dimension, and he follows it into a dimension of people who grow and shrink over small periods of time. So first they're like tiny Lilliputian, like Gulliver's Travel-sized people, and then suddenly they're giants, and then suddenly they're small again. And they're gi- Like, they grow over the course of minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's weird. Um, I guess it's the fourth dimension, because it's like time, because they call it yeah. a third-dimensional being, and I'm assuming guys that grow aren't two-dimensional. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming they're fourth-dimensional. It, it seems like that is sort of the vibe they're going for, and all the time-related stuff. It's like... What would a fourth dimensional being be like? Eh, just give him a lot of time-related time like traits. Time dilation, I yeah. guess. Um, but they tell Flash, like, you're stuck here and shit, and we're evil. And Flash is like, that's no bueno. And where's Iris? And they're like, we got her in a tube thing. And one of these um, UFOs that we've got. And he's like, not anymore. And grabs, <laughs> grabs Iris and proceeds to blow up three UFOs as they are taking off. Those have crews. That's another three Gimli's. Well, I'm gonna say that. They're, okay, uh, look, uh, unmanned yeah. space objects are probably not in the vocabulary of sci-fi people at this point. So they're specifically described as explosive saucers. So I kind of wonder. Yeah, everything's if explosive when you blow it up. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I mean, like they are describing them as explosive saucers. So I kind of read those as rockets. Field this. The saucers are exploding. They're just blowing up. They don't. But the uh, there's there's a bit where they're sp- they're talking about them. The the Lilliputian uh, fourth dimensional people. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, I three dimensional man. Those solar explosive saucers are all timed to be fired at your world in one hour from now. So to me that that sounds like these all are right. ICBMs. All but right. it's still weird. It's weird. All right, but I will say that they're unmanned. And, so and there might also be like, well, probably not crews nearby, like because they're firing. If they're launched, no, then there's no crew on them. So then one I way or will, another, it's a little weird. No, I will. I will completely mulligan those then. If we that that makes sense to me from the description. So in saving Iris, he does not kill three spaceships worth of people. Just that one sub. So he probably would have though. He probably would have. He doesn't seem to really give a shit. When Iris is concerned. <laughs> so uh, we're going to move to the next story, which is the last story we're going to cover in showcase number 14, June 1958. Mr. Element comes back. However, Mr. Element has had a change of heart and calls himself Dr. Alchemy now because he has gotten the Philosopher's Stone and he uses it to basically commit more Element-themed crimes, but now with like a superpower. And holy shit, is that kind of cool because Dr. Alchemy is a real character from the Rogues Gallery of Flash now. Which I didn't realize. Like I, I, had, I looked him up and I'm like, oh, 
Oh fuck! The the outfit rem- was familiar to me, and then I googled it. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that guy. So yeah, he's a real rogues gallery guy for the Flash. Um, uses the philosopher stone to kind of turn certain things into gold or silver and distract people with like weird different alchemical versions of things, and then goes to commit crimes. And the Flash obviously mm-hmm. stops him. Although but, you do have to wonder why he's still committing crimes if he can literally make turn gold. things into gold, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, he uh, makes gold or he makes trash cans into gold as a distraction. Yeah, it's kind of a weird use of his power. <laughs> but that's where we're going to stop for today with these uh, stories. Now, I'm I'm really happy about a couple things here. Barry is pretty solid as a character. The mm-hmm. art is really great. Yeah. The writing is on par, each of these stories. I mean, they're not amazing. They're not bad, but they're okay. I mean, John Broom and uh, Kaniger are pretty good. Like, they're good writers. We're not mad at that. I like the villains because the villains are straight-up flashback mm-hmm. guys, um, much like we saw with Batman getting, like, Batman Rogue Gallery villains right off the bat. And they're super villains. Captain Cold, you know, Dr. Alchemy, like, they have powers and things, and that's really cool, too, because we don't normally see those, because those are usually one-shot villains with, with powers and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So, these guys are coming back. Now, what I also really like is the Iris Barry relationship. Interesting. And it's okay. A, yeah, it, no, it, I, I kind of see where you're going with this. So, Iris and Barry are established very early on that they are a couple. Iris, despite Barry's lateness... Still dates Barry, still likes him, still talks to him, invites him along, goes out to dinner with him. They go on dates. They are, they seem very coupley, holding hands, arm in arm. Uh, he kisses her cheek as he runs past her as the Flash. Um, they're sweethearts. Mm-hmm. Now, Iris finds the Flash attractive as in the, the times that she's seen him. Yes, he's exciting and he's cool. However, when the Flash saves her in the Around the World in 80 Minutes story... She asks the Flash to teach her boyfriend how to be faster. Not to hit on the Flash. She kind of makes a flirty joke to get the Flash to get her boyfriend to be better. She doesn't try to ditch her boyfriend for the superhero. She tries to get the superhero to make her boyfriend a better person. And I was like, that's actually really cool. And I like Iris because she's not trying to ditch her man for the first dude in spandex. So one thing I wish that I had taken the time to do is look ahead and see whether she does end up... Because there have been those lines of... Uh, I, even though The Flash is the one that I, I find really interesting, uh, there have been those little bit of lines that make me wonder if they're going to go in that direction in the future. But if we're just looking at where it is right now, yeah, it's a good, healthy relationship. Yeah, and that's, it's, it's interesting because we haven't seen that before. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hope they keep it. Yes. Because that would be a very unique relationship of the, the woman who comes into contact with the superhero frequently but isn't really swept off her feet by him. Um, I, I hope that speaks to the foundation of the relationship that they have later in comics. Because mm. in comics, Iris is pretty... Not unimpressed with the Flash. But she's not... Like, oh my god, he's so amazing. Not like mm-hmm. Lois is, or not like Carol. She's a little bit more shrewd. He's a public servant to her. Yeah. She respects him for who he is. She likes what he does. She thinks he's cute. They flirt occasionally. But she's a reporter. You know, that's her job. She She's concerned about getting the facts and the story. I think their relationship heats up between Iris and the Flash when she actually finds out that Barry is the Flash. If so, that's 
good. Which we is need, great. We need more of that, especially in this era. Right. So that's just me. Um, it's Central City. That's his hometown. I'm glad he's not some random, like, you know, urban setting. It's mm-hmm. Central City. East Coast, again, like I said, uh, it's a little further away than I thought it was from Coast City. Um, but, you know, I'm not. I always assumed Central City was in the Midwest. I, I, mean, I that assumed, would certainly make the most sense. I, I would assume it was in the similar location as Smallville. Like, those, <laughs> those weren't too far apart. But, okay, so... That's that's the end of kind of my summary stuff. It's Barry Allen. He's got superpowers. He broke the time barrier. Wow. Okay. Um, he does a lot of flash stuff here. He runs up wires. They snap and stuff like that. He runs across water. It's it's pretty much immediately Flash comics, and I'm I'm on board for it 100. percent Nice. So I'm going to throw something out here. It's yeah. something that we didn't do during Green Lantern. Are you interested in like? Just like a two-minute overview of the different flashes. Sure, I can. Yeah, this will be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, this is one of those things. Like everyone has a different Flash. Everyone has a different Green Lantern, depending on when you grew up, what cartoons you watched. Yeah. I, for me, I've been looking at it from the outside. So, I, like, uh, Young Justice and Teen Titans. I, I have one idea, and then it's like, oh yeah, Barry comes back. Yeah. 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 Because in Justice League, Wally is the Flash that everyone pretty much knows. Yeah, yeah. I think of him as the one in the red. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so the Flash family, um, the core of the family, because it does kind of extend a little bit to these fringe characters who we do kind of see as JSA members due to the Golden Age as well as Wally's children. Um, The four major Flashes, the people who are the Flash, are... Jay Garrick, Barry Allen, Wally West, and Bart Allen. Jay Garrick is, of course, the Golden Age JSA member of the Flash family. He's traditionally drawn and viewed as a 50s, 60s year old man, um, but he's spry because the Speed Force has kept him healthy. Him and Joan look about the same age, graying hair, lines on their face, not exactly fit or jacked, but... A speedster and a force to be reckoned with. Barry is uh, presumably usually drawn older, um, mid thirties, late thirties. That's sort of how I always envision. And uh, yeah, he's he's the guy that creates the speed force for Earth Prime, and as such, then gives birth to all the speedsters that then subsequently become characters throughout all of DC Comics. For those of you curious who go like, well, Superman was a speedster. No, Superman is not a speedster. Superman is a mutated Kryptonian through radiation who moves faster due to radiation. He is actually not a speedster. That is a huge difference and a huge classification change. Um, Zoom, Captain Boomerang, the Golden Glider, Flash, Jesse Quick, uh, Max Mercury, Liberty Bell. All of those characters are speedsters because they actually use the speed force. Now, then you have Wally West. Wally idolizes the Flash. I'm sure we'll get into Wally at some point in the comics, but then Wally Wally recreates the Flash experiment, gets powers, becomes Kit Flash. He's the one who recreates it. Okay, yes. I was trying to remember that. Wally recreates the experiment, gets Kit Flash, uh, becomes Kit Flash. Sidekick to Flash. Bart 
Bart is Iris and Barry's grandson from the future. Time shenanigans abound. Bart gets <laughs> thrown back into our timeline and is stuck here. Bart's usually always drawn anywhere between the 13 to 16 year old range. Wally ends up getting age plateaued around in like 26, 27. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got Jay, Barry, Wally, and Bart. Those are your four flashes. Those are the four people who always and will forever have the flash mantle. That's your mythos and lore for the Flash family tree. They are actually, in fact, all related or, uh, you know, via marriage or blood. You know, this thought literally just occurred to me. Except for the Garricks, sorry. (laughs) True, yeah, they're entirely... They're the only two that are outside of it. uh, Purely because of interdimensional travel, which makes sense. (laughs) Fair. Uh, This is something I never thought about, but is interesting... Uh, the only two characters who do like the super reboot at this time, they go through f- at least like four different versions of that character. That I never correct. thought about that. That is correct like, because we, yeah, if you will allow us to digress, Green Lantern also has four different members. There mm-hmm. are there are four pillars to the Green Lantern family, and there are four pillars to the Flash family. There is Hal, Guy, John, Kyle. Hal. And those are the four human Green Lanterns for Sector 2814 who become Green Lantern over the course of the series of the comic. And then you've got Jay, Barry, Wally, Bart. However, there are five Green Lanterns because you're forgetting Alan. You're right. Well done. Because Alan, once the universes merge, also becomes a Green Lantern. But... He is not recognized by the Guardians because he is Mm magic-based. And his Green Lantern is not actually a science creation by the Guardians. It is not not technology that they created. So he is not actually believed or associated with Mm -hmm. the core. Okay, so he he is, uh, I guess, homonym, but not part of the organization. exactly. Okay, alright. So, I'll start off with this, just because I think it's an important thing we cover. Uh... I, th- I, I kind of agree, like, I, I wasn't as big on this, but it, it was solid. It uh, Solid is honestly the word that I'll use. The combat is imaginative, gimmicky is kind of how I think about it, but it's not laugh out loud like uh, Aquaman stories. They're just solid ex- execution of uh, imaginative gimmicks. There's a bit of scientific explanation, there's good pacing to bring it out, and they never reuse the same idea. Yeah. Uh, there's just enough there that's like, okay, yeah, this, this works. It's not just sudden dramatic shifts in uh, oh they suddenly realize the thing it's no okay like I can see the chain of logic that happens right. there uh, Barry realizing that he can go through the absolute zero mirages because it's like wait I detect bits of cold coming off of these giant saw blades it's like yeah he's, he saw through the illusion right. that's what you do with illusions uh, and I, along those lines I also want to call out Barry often ends up winning because he figures something out not because he outspeeds someone. It's not, like, this portion, it's not that he's scientific necessarily, but that he is using, he is thinking about things is how he comes to his uh, victory. It's, oh, how can I use my super speed to get through this obstacle? He outsmarts them. Yep, it's exactly that. Yeah. And I I like that. Oh, yeah. I'm very much a fan of that. Uh, it interested me to hear you say that the the relationship between Iris and Barry was a strong point for you. And I, like, from when you described it, it made sense. 
But it was interesting to me, just especially coming off of the first couple issues of Green Lantern, like, okay, much less screen time than that. Yeah. But just in general, like, Barry gets less screen time. Uh, it's very yeah. much Flash. Yeah, there's there's a lot of... There's a lot less Barry Iris time, and yes, it is not as... Uh, it's not as much of a tryst as it is with, mm-hmm. with Carol and Hal, but I think it's because their dynamic is a little bit more boring but still more wholesome yes oh that is a healthy relationship yeah they're they are teasing each other instead of needling each other yeah it's 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 so much better it's what jay and joan were supposed to be yeah barry has this thing where you know iris is like you're always late and he's like yeah well what are you gonna do like that's Mm -hmm. her that's their running joke is that barry is always late but it hasn't turned iris off of him yes It, it hasn't been something she pokes him with it doesn't yeah, yeah it doesn't terminate their relationship she's just accepted the fact that barry is never on time however mm-hmm. she keeps coming back because apparently he's a good guy and treats her well and that's it, nice it's the family joke yeah uh the other thing that i found really interesting is the pacing i really like how these are paced oh yeah because and part of it is these are 12 page stories mm-hmm. uh which is the same as Green Lantern, but the Aquaman stories in Adventure were six to eight pages. This isn't rushed, ironically. Uh, they take the time for establishing shots, for panels to show the passage of time and set up later events. Uh, like one of the great examples there uh, with regards to panels that show the passage of time, uh, you describe like the, the fourth dimensional people like growing as we see it like we have the three panels like next to each other where it's okay it's the same shot except zooming out a little bit as we see okay you start off with them tiny and barry allen just kind of looking down at them and then half step out him looking up half step further he's tiny they're giant like he they're not afraid to use panel space for the passage of time and they're also not afraid to use that to establish later stuff for the story. The One of the great examples that I had was... Uh, actually, two great examples. First off, there's an entire page. There's an entire page of Barry helping a little girl recover a ring. Yep. The only like storytelling purpose of that is, A, establish the character beat. Okay, he's a good guy, and that's why he's late to things. Uh, but more importantly, B... It's there so that we can see a trick of him vibrating to get through like a small space, like reaching through the grate to, to reach into the sewer to grab the ring that he then uses later in the, in the story to uh, apprehend a criminal. They used an entire page for that. Right. Holy crap. And for the first three stories, the costume deploying is three panels. Right. It takes up a third of a page each time. It's... It's luxurious. They don't skimp, but they certainly don't lollygag. Yep. You know? And the way I wound up thinking about it is because they're taking these times for, like, the time to show stuff change and also the time for, like, establishing shots in combat, most of these, like, combat locations, I can, I could run a D&D encounter in them. Yeah. Because I can, they show enough of it and, like, the stuff on the ground that can get... That, that gets used like, oh, there's a bunch of silver coins in the ground. Barry's going to use that as part of solving the, the combat encounter. I can envision these places enough to run an encounter in them. Infantino is, a, is an incredible set dresser. Oh, man. And I don't know if that's Kaniger and Broom's 
notes on the page or if that's Infantino's just filling in the blank. Either way, huh. it's a good team dynamic. These are great creative teams. Oh, yeah. Timing-wise, so this is interesting. Like, I hadn't thought about the timing of the other issues because you pointed out when they came out. They're certainly later on, but the timing is interesting because this is this is two years after the Comics Code Authority is formed right. that the first Flash issue comes out. Uh, and then it's three years uh, before Aquaman and Green Lantern uh, relaunch, and by the time uh, we get to the end of what we covered today, it's pretty close. Uh, Flash relaunches five years before F- Fantastic Four launches, hmm. 1961, and that's like people. I've I've seen the Marvel ages. It's described being like conceived of as a sub portion of the Silver Age because it's like okay. Let's really ramp up the realistic character dynamics, the flawed characters, the the relationships really being important. Uh, ten years before the Batman TV show starts in 1966. Okay. And then, unrelated but interesting, the One Man Army Corps and Brother Eye were hey. first around back in 1975. Oh, man. It was a Jack Kirby comic. Uh, so that's interesting. Uh, you want to briefly touch on this. Uh, science. Yes. We talked a little bit about like how there's just science, 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 science. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of it. So, yeah and no. Because the factual accuracy is sometimes shit, but sometimes not. Yeah, it's, I'm definitely not saying you're going to learn things from The Flash, but I like how sciencey it's trying to be. It, yes, but the, the way I sort of view it is it's... Well, it's it's throwing around a lot of factoids, yeah. trying to like, hey, look at all these little like, uh, kind of contextless factoids. Yeah, uh, okay. I kind of view it as being like, uh, like a bad middle school uh, history test, where it's just, yeah. do you know the do you know the dates? Do you know what happened? <laughs> cool. That's not that's not inaccurate. Yeah. Yeah, but like, I just want to kind of run through some of them because they were interesting. Like, there's a science page in the first issue, uh, and it might not be in this version, but it was in the like showcase issue itself about special relativity uh, special relativity that gets the twin paradox right where some if your twin goes off and mm. comes back they're going to be younger than you are uh, they get absolute zero right at negative 460 degrees fahrenheit but then they get it wrong that the center of a fire is the coolest yeah i was like that can't be right i mean in, in that particular case it might have been the case because it was a ring with that giant hollow portion oh, of the center, yeah. but like, um, I don't count uh, that. That's not the core of the fire, that it's like the eye of the storm, yeah. sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then they also got it r- probably right that you could call Flash L Flash, which is a little bit weird because that happened in Egypt. Yeah, that's that's during the around the world in 80 minutes story where he saved some people in a vaguely Arabic. Middle Eastern sort of an area. Well, where no, they pyramids. were specific about where it was. It was oh, specifically the Khufu Pyramid, which is the Great Pyramid at Giza. But one way or another, like they they say El Flash and El Claw, and I, at first I was like, stupid. at first I was like, what the hell? But then I looked it up. Apparently, El is actually an acceptable transliteration of Al, like Al Andalus, uh, uh, the Andalus, which is Andalusia, which is most of Spain. So the Flash could actually be translated, like you could, in theory, say this as Al Flash or El Flash. Uh, um, actually, us if we get this wrong, because was that, was that Broom or Canager being actually factually correct about a cultural thing? I think that was Broom. Holy shit! I think that would have been Broom. Good for you, Broom. Yeah. 
So it's just, it's kind of annoying that they get some stuff right and some stuff wrong, but it's also like kind of, a lot of it is isolated factoids. So that was just like, there is definitely a feel of this is grounded in science. They're trying to deal with this as a character who thinks his way through issues, but it's a little weird at times. Right. Uh, and then I just have a bunch of, like, dumb, fun stuff that I kind of sure. want to go through. Uh, Plastic Man is coming out at this time. Yeah. He's not at DC. He's at Quality Comics. But he's at, actually, issue 60 at this time. And the cover is kind of awesome. Here's a cover yeah. of Plastic Man grabbing a funnel mouth alien. Uh, while there are rocket ships in the background, he is reaching over to, like, into the distance to grab one. It's... Weird. I love Eel O'Brien. He's the greatest. Uh, I just want to call out, Mazden, the future man in the second story, is dressed just like the Joker. Uh, when it's in, in the <laughs> yeah. shading, it's purple suit and a green undershirt and green gloves. That's right. Another thing... So this keeps needling me. And it needles me because I don't have like a definitive answer to what's going on here. But in this era, uh, women's lipstick is usually shaded dark but sometimes as pastel pink. So Carol, the way her lipstick is always shaded, it's like a, it's either like a glossy black or it's a dark, almost matte red. But Iris is either, like, she's either changing shades between scenes or the inker is changing how they want to handle the shading because mm. sometimes, like, sometimes even in the same scene, like, she's got, like, bright pink pastel in one uh, shot and then later on, it's either, like, super shaded, like, in shadow, or she's wearing dark, dark red or black lipstick. Hmm. Uh, and it's driving me nuts because I can't tell whether that's intentional costume changes or just the inker being sloppy. Either way, black lipstick is always better. Come fight me. Other thing of note, Barry leaves the office at noon for a 1.30 lunch with Iris. Yeah. How long are his lunches? How often does he do this? How long is the lunch with Iris going to be? <laughs> Barry, what? <laughs> like you're the Flash now. Like you know you have. Su- Why are you doing? Like, like I understand the sitting... concept of I want to be on time, but but you're an hour and ten minutes on time. Yeah, like you're. That's that's like a. Is there no crime to, to science right now at the police station? Like I could understand if you like got the afternoon off or something, but. Wow. Come on, man. I want to work for what you do. Yeah. I, want to take an, I want to take like a three-hour lunch. Yeah. I mean, and it's I mean, it's one thing if it's like, okay, it's, uh, it's studio team building thing. Or if it's, hey, I'm doing this. This is like my, I'm making up the time later on. Or this is the one time I do it in a while. But holy crap, dude, you're taking a three-hour lunch. Yeah. Um, a round of size, please. I want to call this out. In order to save someone who's being held hostage, but not actively threatened, the Flash tears down the Great Pyramid at Giza. Yeah, that pyramid. Yeah, but he rebuilds it. He does, to his credit. However, he tears down the Great Pyramid at Giza. But he rebuilds it. And he's not an expert. He doesn't know what goes where. But it's a pyramid. It's a pyramid with stuff in it. They found an... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's the pyramid they just discovered a giant, like, undiscovered room in. And, again, he puts it back. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he doesn't, like, reduce it to powder and then make a whole new one. He just, like, removes all the stones and then puts them back. Like, eh. eh. To, to his credit. To his credit. <laughs> all right. Uh, recommendation time? 
I have two things. I'm going to go through one of them quickly because I I had six issues of the question. Like, hey. old ass the question. And it was really 1980s, good. 1980s question? Yeah. Uh, I think it was Denny O'Neill with... Uh, God, who's the guy who does the really good uh, Warlock art? Mm. Sinkevich. Bill Sinkevich. Oh, Bill Sinkevich. Bill Sinkevich doing trippy-ass question uh, covers is glorious. The, yeah. the inside isn't that, but it feels like reading Sandman. I think it's yeah. mid-80s. I had six floppy issues alternating. Like, I had issue six, issue eight, issue ten. Nice. <laughs> Something like that. And it just... Somewhere I have um, Zen and Violence, which is volume one of it, which is oh, issue so six. Oh, it's, I have to find it, but I It's beautiful, have it. and I really like the writing. And it's, it has that very much uh, Sandman and hard-traveling heroes kind of melancholy. It's gross. <laughs> it's gross. They're gross comics, and I love them, but they're... Anybody who wants to read Watchmen because they think it's a dark comic should read the question first. Mm. Because the question is just as dark as you want Watchmen to be without the Alan Moore. The other thing that I'm going to recommend and fight me, I this weekend I reread the entirety of Megatokyo. Oh god. I and was... you know what? You know what? I liked it. I watched I... that spiral. I watched that spiral on Twitter. I was like, wow, you're really reading through I all went, Megatokyo. All, I went all the way through. And you know what? It took. I read it late on Wednesday night, and I read it late on Thursday night. And then over the next two days, I wrote 3.3K words to build the structural foundations of the way that I look at that comic so that I can then later on write a piece about why I still like Megatokyo. I spent th- I spent two days writing thirty three hundred words to build the argument so that I could make the argument later, <laughs> and you know what? It, I still feel the same way as I did when I read it in high school. I it still appeals to me on the same levels. It hasn't changed much. It hasn't updated much, but I still feel that same way of this is somebody. These are characters who are damaged, who are trying to make their lives better, and if they can do it, then God damn it, so can I. Oh, you know what I'll recommend? Because I went down a spiral, not really a spiral, but I did a <laughs> stupid vague tweet about this. Um, this is, you're all going to turn off the podcast the second I say this. Looney Tunes, back in action. Um, I don't... I, I actually didn't see that. Let me, t- let me give you a rundown about <laughs> why you need to watch this movie. First of all, Steve Martin's in it. Second of all, Brendan Fraser's in it. Third of all, Bill Goldberg is in it. Fourth of all, Ron Perlman's in it. Okay, I know three of those four people, and I would not have expected that. Fifth of all, the doctor from Voyager is in it. Oh. Uh, Daffy Duck, Bugs Bunny, literally everybody. Oh, Timothy Dalton's in it. Uh, <laughs> it's a stacked cast. <laughs> Or a Looney Tunes Let me tell you. Uh, It also feeds into my theory, my multiverse theory of Roger Rabbit. So I'm not going to go into that right now. I I remember you mentioning that. I have a shared universe theory about who freed Roger Rabbit and Looney Tunes back in action. And I'm not going to go into that right now. But if you want me to, I might make a podcast about just that. (laughs) So, uh, there you go. Watch Looney Tunes back in action and then be like, John, what the hell are you doing with your life? You'll be like, look, I'm unpacking and I gotta find stuff to watch. I mean, honestly, the Critical Role podcast kept me sane through the move. Yeah. Anyways, I think that's, that's 
That'll do it. Looney Tunes back in action. <laughs> you won't, you won't be impressed. Uh, but you may regret it. But I swear to God, if you watch it and you watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit right next to it, you'd be like, "What's the preferred order?" Something, something's up here. You got to watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit first. Okay. Historically, because it happens historically in time first. You can't watch the future before you watch the past. That doesn't make any fucking That's sense. That's literally what we did over the past three co- no, uh, chunks no, 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 of episodes. Because the whole point is that Who Framed Roger Rabbit happens in an earlier version of Hollywood, which has Toontown next to it, because that explains why Toontown exists and why the Toons can get into the world, which is why Looney Tunes Back in Action has an actual working movie industry that has the Toons in it. I'm sorry. I thought about this a lot, okay? <laughs> did there's a whole situation there that that is literally who framed roger rabbit is the centerpiece of this theory because the wall in the acme at the acme lot at the end of who framed roger rabbit gets broken down and all the tunes come through it in my mind that is when literally the wall between the real world and toontown is destroyed and it just mingles okay okay this is i am really adamant about this being a thing. Okay? <laughs> DC Detectives can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and dcdetectivespodcast.com. Talking to this version of The Flash was far more refreshing than it had been with Jay Garrick. His humility and decency seemed to emanate like a beacon of warm hope out of that crimson suit. He invited us to visit Central City, take in the sights, and perhaps encounter some more recognizable faces from our recollections. Accepting his gracious offer, we held our breath as instructed, as Flash whisked us away at super speed across the country.